Welcome, everyone, to Everyday Holiness, a Faith ND podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is Dan Allen, Spirituality Program Director for the Alumni Association, and we are happy to have you all join us. Today, we will be talking to Father Pat Reedy, a Holy Cross priest and a longtime member of the Notre Dame community in a number of ways. And we are going to be talking to him about a variety of topics, mostly his story, his vocation, the different ministries he's been a part of, and his thoughts on the pursuit of holiness. So welcome, Father Pat. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So I'd like to hear, I guess, first of all, about growing up, who were the important figures of faith for you as you think back to your childhood, your upbringing, and sort of the mentors that led you through young adulthood? Absolutely. I think if you ask anyone who knows me, you'd know a thing or two about my family because I talk about them endlessly. I'm Irish-Italian. My grandmothers were hugely important influences in my life. Unfortunately, my grandfathers passed away when I was very young and before I was born. Um, and so my grandmothers were, were really the, the rocks of our family and witnesses to, to daily holiness in my life, particularly my maternal grandmother. Um, she was someone who was very explicit in her love for the faith, her love for the church, and, and raised not only my mother in that respect, um, but, but really continued to to keep close to me as I grew up in faith. Both of my grandmothers were present for the major sacramental moments of my life. My baptism in New York City, my first communion confirmation in Denver, Colorado, where my family continues to live. Um, but because of that influence of my grandmothers, my parents were were very keen to raise all of us in the faith. I'm the oldest of four children, and all of us were not only educated in the faith through Catholic schools, through grade school, high school, and, and college at the University of Notre Dame, but, but also were challenged to think about how our relationship with God was manifest in service. Our parents were very big on not only Catholic education, but also service to the poorest of the poor through, through soup kitchen ministry, through foster care. I had a number of foster siblings when I was in middle school and high school. Um, and, and ultimately, in thinking about how it was that we were called to use these gifts of education and, um, and God-given gifts to, to serve the world. And so when it came time to, to think about seminary, obviously, they, they all had been huge influences for me. Yeah, that's great. That sounds like a tremendously fertile ground for a vocation growing up in that kind of environment. Was there a moment when you realized wow, I really have some, some strong figures of faith, or wow, I really have a lot of, a lot of support here as I explore uh, my vocation, explore deepening my faith? Yeah, I think, I think my, my perspective was, was stronger kind of looking in hindsight. I think in many respects, I, I didn't necessarily take for granted how strong of, of role models I had in my parents, my, my grandmothers, my, my teachers in grade school and high school, some of, the, some of the diocesan priests at my parish and some of the Jesuit priests at my high school before I came to Notre Dame. Um, I think it's easy to, to look back and, and appreciate more just what a, an influence they had on me in many respects because prior to, to leaving home, they were all I'd ever known. Mm. Um, the conversations that we had, the the moments of sharing with them. Ever since I was a little kid, that maybe I was thinking that I was supposed to be a priest, and what did that mean, and what would that look like, and and just knowing that I always had their 
their undying support, even as that support came through at points asking questions about my own discernment and how I thought about it and whether this made sense or didn't make sense. Um, it was only in, in coming to college and then in entering seminary that I came to realize, gosh, not everybody's family is so supportive of this. Um, not everybody's family is as as strong in their commitment to not only the sacramental life of the church, but but the life of service. There were just things that, that I kind of took for granted, even just the fact that we we ate dinner together every night yeah. at home, um, which, which as a punk high schooler meant that I <laughs> often felt like I was missing out on all sorts of opportunities. But I came to college and realized that's a, a really special gift um, and something that I don't take for granted that that we, we celebrated all of the liturgical seasons. We gave up things together as a family during Lent. We, we gathered around the Advent wreath during Advent. Um, all of the, the major saints of the church that are role models in our life were, were days that we remembered in prayer, and we continue to this day mm-hmm. to remember those patron saints for my siblings and me. And maybe that's the Italian part of our family. I don't know. <laughs> but um, we had a, certainly had a lot of nativity sets around our house right, growing up. right. Well, I think that's really important because sometimes people feel as if pursuing holiness or cultivating vocations or or finding God's call in your life maybe is this extraordinary thing, but in, in some ways what you're saying is this was just normal. This was your everyday reality that you grew up with, and it wasn't only till later that you looked back and, and saw what a privilege that was, but in that moment it just was kind of the identity of who your family was. Yeah, I mean, just the tremendous self-gift shown by my parents towards towards my siblings and me, but also towards these other people who entered into our lives. Um, I mean, I, I could brag about my mom and dad forever, but I think it wasn't until seeing that that not everybody's families made the decisions that that my parents made with and for our family um, about how we would be raised in the faith, about the priorities that they had, um, that education was a tremendous priority for them, that um, that Catholic education was important enough that they worked towards helping build the school at my parish mm-hmm. and, and then ultimately helping build the girls' school at our then all-guys Jesuit high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were just decisions made that that in hindsight I realized were extraordinary. Um, even just to talk about having foster siblings, I, I know that that was an important moment in my life, but, but only in sharing with folks who, who sort of are wide-eyed when they hear <laughs> that I had foster siblings right. at one point. It's only in those moments that I realized just how, just how extraordinary a gift that was and how impactful that was in my own thinking about what it would be for me to, to similarly try to practice self-gift and, and to try to give over my my life and my gifts to to others that's wonderful so maybe let's talk a little bit about your time now at notre dame you came here to notre dame as an undergraduate tell us a little bit about that and then um to the maybe the moment of entry into holy cross yeah lots of moving parts there so i i came to Notre Dame from Denver, Colorado. I was the the first of my siblings to go to college. Both of my parents had gone to college. My mom's a, an alum from the class of 81. Um, and that was, I think, where I came to know Notre Dame mostly, was through my mother. But also, when you grow up through Catholic schools, Notre Dame is the best school you can go to, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's sort of the dream school for every, every little Catholic school kid. And so um, knowing that that was such a such a desirable thing, and also knowing that this seminary question was a live one for me, not so potently that I um, that I would enter old college here. I, I thought about that for a little bit, but 
but knew that there were other opportunities and other questions that I needed to engage Mm -hmm. while I was a student. And so I came in 2004, in the fall of 2004, I moved into the basement of Soren College, and Father Jim King was my rector at the time. Father Monk Malloy was then in his last year as president of the university and still living in residence in Soren, um, where he continues to live in residence, amazingly. Um, and those men were, were some immediate influences on my life. Um, Father Jim was finishing up, I think, some time as vocations director with Holy <laughs> Cross, so God was having some fun with me there. But... Um, but really was able over the course of my time in undergrad to to grow in knowledge of and ultimately love of Holy Cross um, through through those men in the residence hall who who shaped my time there. I ultimately served as a resident assistant for Father Jim my senior year. Um, but I also enjoyed the incredible privilege of studying with Holy Cross priests in the classroom. Father Bob Dowd taught me as a sophomore and then directed my thesis as a senior. Father Mark Porman was the VP for Student Affairs, but taught some pretty legendary ethics classes, and I was <laughs> able to study with him as a senior. Um, and I think in, in a way that really sealed the deal, my sophomore and junior summers were spent in East Africa living mm-hmm. in a Holy Cross parish. And mm-hmm. so first through the International Summer Service Learning Program and through Soren, um, I was able to live at our parish in Jinja and teach at our primary school, St. Jude in Boikola. Um, and then a second summer on a research grant returning to that same area, those same schools, and, and doing research for my political science thesis, which was maybe 20, 30% about the research. I hope I hope the College of Arts and Letters doesn't mind. Um, and probably 70%, 80% about discerning Holy Cross. Yeah. Um, I really want, and not only Holy Cross, but, but missionary religious life in yeah. Holy Cross. Um, I knew that I loved university ministry. I knew that I loved um, living and working in the dorms. I thought that being a rector was kind of a dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also loved our community in East Africa. I loved the ministry of word and sacrament and also just the incredible support provided to some of the poorest of the poor. And and in living as part of a small Holy Cross community in the parish, I came to translate better for myself the reality of a larger Holy Cross community here mm-hmm. at Notre Dame to understand what what they meant when they talked about common prayer, common table, community nights, those things that, that felt like family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that ultimately allowed me to say as a senior that even though I wasn't really sold on, on the idea of being a priest for the rest of my life, I knew I'd been thinking about it long enough that I needed to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and having had those experiences in East Africa and at Notre Dame allowed me to, to really see Holy Cross as a community with whom I, I could give religious life and priesthood a shot. That if I was called to this, it would probably be with a community like Holy Cross. Yeah. It has a lot of reminders for me of, of what you've told us about your childhood, that there was this family dynamic, this togetherness, this care for others, care for the the poor in service, giving that self-gift, that service to others. So there seemed to be, even, even on the other side of the world, a familiarity with uh, what was happening there with Holy Cross with your upbringing. For sure. For sure. No, there was a total a total consistency with that. And I think in light of getting to know Holy Cross, I could better make sense of why it was that diocesan priesthood back in Colorado had never quite felt right for me, and even why religious life and priesthood with the Jesuits hadn't quite felt right for me. Um, to this day, I, I have great 
admiration for and affection for the Jesuits. I think some of their saints are amazing, and, and their spirituality is, um, is really rich. But in getting to know Holy Cross, I came to find that for me, there was a, a modeling on the Holy Family that that felt very much like what I had grown up with, and ultimately what I think I had been seeking um, in in seeking to be a part of a family, not necessarily as a husband and a father, but as as a brother and ultimately a spiritual father. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Take us to some of the some of the critical decision points. Those those Elijah in the cave wrestling with what is God <laughs> wanting me to do. What what were some of the aspects of uh, one or two of those really critical decision points and and the lessons that you took from those? Yeah, I think one of the one of the critical decision points was was just senior year and and wading through my own restlessness and my own trepidation about entering seminary. I think I made it into a bigger leap than it actually was. Um, and not only the the application and the entry, but even just telling people. Um, there, there was a phenomenal difference between telling people, yeah, I've thought about being a Catholic priest. I think most Catholic men at some point in their life could say, yeah, I've thought about that. Sure. For some, it's 20 seconds. For some, it's 20 years. But to make the the jump from that to, I think I need to enter the seminary. Right. That that felt much more momentous and and was something that caused me a great deal of fear and anxiety as a mm. senior. And so I would say that was a big decision point for me. I, I spent a lot of the first part of senior year throwing applications at everything in the world. Uh, so much stuff that made no sense for me. I applied for managerial consulting jobs, and I got interviews because I was a nerd, and they probably thought, well, this is an interesting application. He right. has no background in any of this. Yeah. And it proved to be true in any kind of case interviews, yeah. um, where I had no idea what I was doing. You know, and I looked at a number of, of one- and two-year service opportunities. I looked at ACE. I looked at ECHO. I looked at JVC. I applied for a Fulbright to go back to Uganda and do research, and and I came to realize with a number of those applications that I didn't really want them. I didn't really want this sort of approximation of the seminary. I wanted to enter the seminary. Hmm. I just I just needed to give myself permission to to actually do it. And the funny thing was, as soon as I started telling some of my close friends, they're like, "Yeah." <laughs> Obviously. I mean, they're like, we're fine if you didn't do it, but we also sort of figured you would have to try it at some point. Right. Yeah, none of my closest friends were at all surprised by this. So I would say that was that was kind of a major decision point, kind mm-hmm. of spring spring 2008 as mm-hmm. I was getting ready to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, I filled out my application while back in Colorado for spring break. <laughs> um, I was just skiing with my family and, and working on the application at night, which was probably much later than Holy Cross would have preferred. <laughs> And I would say another another decision point was was during that first year in seminary, what we call our postulant year, mm-hmm. the decision to go to the novitiate yeah. was was a major decision point for me. Um, the novitiate is for us in Holy Cross a sort of cloistered, almost monastic experience. It involves a great deal of silence. You, at least when I was there, you give up regular access to email. You give up your cell phone. Um, you really kind of separate yourself out from the world. And as a bit of an extrovert and a relational person, that was horrifying for me. Um, <laughs> I I wasn't entirely convinced that, that the end result was going to be worth the cost of it. And yet I also knew, having entered seminary, 
right out of undergrad that I'd basically been at Notre Dame for five years straight. I'd gone from Soren to Moreau. I just moved across the lake at commencement. Yeah. And and I wasn't entirely convinced that my sense of call to Holy Cross was distinct from my love for Notre Dame hmm. and my love for the particular people at Notre Dame who had who had helped me grow up here. I came to find that those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but sure. but I did want to make sure that I needed to make sure that this was rooted in my relationship with God, my desire to be a sacramental minister in the church and and as long as I was at Notre Dame, I had a, a keen sense that that I wouldn't necessarily know. And and so the novitiate, of course, is it's the necessary next step in any religious life, uh, formation for religious life. But um, but for me, that sort of dramatic step was was ultimately really necessary to to grow my relationship with God and and ultimately to commit at the end of that year to religious life and priesthood in Holy Cross rather than religious life and priesthood at Notre Dame. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that in both of those moments you talked about the fear and the anxiety, the fear of even telling people, saying, I'm going to the seminary, the fear of leaving Notre Dame, something that had become really a second home to you. And oftentimes, I think in moments of discernment, that fear and anxiety can get in the way or be an obstacle that we have to get through sure. to to be on the other side. And and after having gotten there, you know, oh, my friends thought it was wonderful and the novitiate went well. What are some ways that you discovered that you were able to get through those moments of fear and, and endure? Yeah. I think on a human level, I'm, I can be relentlessly stubborn in, <laughs> in finishing things that I set out to do. Not naively so, so I won't, I won't finish something if I know it's just clearly wrong, but but I do think I look back on on the end of my my postulant year. We still called it the candidate year at that point. I remember telling my my mom and dad, "I don't know enough to leave. Hmm. I don't I don't have this overwhelming sense that for sure, yes, after this one year, I'm going to be a Holy Cross priest <laughs> for the rest of my life." But I knew at the end of the year that I still needed more data. Sure, I needed more data on Holy Cross. I needed more data on myself. And, and in a way that, that older brothers and community had shared that I, I'm still grateful for, for to this day and, and share with students here on campus even, time in seminary is never wasted. Right. That time in formation was never wasted. And I knew that regardless of how the novitiate played out, I would be able to grow in my relationship with God. I just sort of knew that. Right. Um, and I think in each of those moments where where something presented itself as difficult or confusing or emotional or complicated, to have those voices around me, those voices I, I trusted and continue to trust, reminding me of who I am, reminding me of, of where I've been and, and where at least at one point I've hoped to go. Because I think ultimately in any discernment, you're you're looking to the arc of your experience mm. for for a sense of direction. Anyone can can make normative uh, a particular moment, a particular encounter, and and you can you can read into that as much or as little as you want. But but if that moment deviates from the arc of your experience, how how you've come to to see yourself in relationship with God and others, then 
then that moment actually isn't as instructive as mm. as we might think it is. Yeah. And 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 I I would love to say that I just like came up with that myself. Right. That was distilled through a lot of different conversations, particularly my junior and senior year, mm-hmm. as I was really thinking about I think I have to do this, this whole seminary thing. To be able to have people in my life, Holy Cross priests and otherwise, say, Pat, look at what's brought you joy here. Mm. You know, you've spent four years throwing yourself at a lot of different things. Look at what's stuck. Look at the work that you leave on the table and the work that you give yourself to. You know, even to go so far as to say one of the priests who I was talking to said, Pat, some of this stuff is weird. Like <laughs> that, you, that you not only like it, but you love it and you want to pour your heart and soul into that. For a lot of the world, that's weird. Mm. Most people aren't giving one and two summers to live in a rural parish in Uganda. Right. Most people aren't pouring their heart and soul into a campus retreat. Most people aren't spending their senior year living in the basement of a 140-year-old building and trying to help freshmen figure out how to be students. Right. But they said, not only have you done that, but you love it. Mm. Right. It makes you come alive. Pay attention to that. Right. Yeah, you had a great dance date. Yeah, you have a great relationship with this young woman or this job in a different universe might be an attractive possibility for you. But but pay attention to how how the whole of your experience here and high school and growing up like how all of this holds together because that's going to be more instructive for you. Yeah, sometimes the beauty of hindsight is that that we can see those things but in the throes of it it's it's really hard to parse out some of the extraneous data or moments then and and pay attention to where the general momentum of this has has taken us right i mean when we're when we're looking at our own life there are no outliers right there are only present moments but somebody else who loves us and knows us and cares about us and has walked with us for any length of time can much more readily see things as consistent with who we are and or as totally totally distinct from who we are yeah and I think one of the hard things that anyone deals with in coming to college and starting to make determinations about one's career, one's life, is that in some ways we have to go through this door, and that means we can't go through any other number of doors. Sure. And what sort of advice would you give to someone who's feeling that angst of, you know, up to this point, I've been all potential. I'm a student. I'm all potential. But now all of a sudden I have to start choosing a major and I have to start looking at a career path and maybe I'm pursuing this relationship and not the rest of these. How do you how do you find the courage to make a decision without sort of looking back over over your shoulder and thinking, well, what else might have been with those other possibilities? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a huge challenge and and I think I think a number of students struggle with that, particularly at a place like Notre Dame, where where our students are so talented and the resources are seemingly endless for for a student to try and be anything, right? Um, I know I found that myself that that there seemed to always be an open door or an open window or an open hand reaching out to to offer some opportunity and. And that's a marvelous gift of this place, but it can be it can be sort of paralyzing when it comes to decision time. To to have endless opportunities is is to to find yourself swimming in them. And and I think what I would 
what I would say from myself, not from experience that points to my <laughs> my success of this, but actually just <laughs> actually not doing this well, is to give yourself permission to sink yourself deeply into a couple things. Um, the reality of, of a lot of modern universities, including Notre Dame, is that you have people taking on two majors and multiple interdisciplinary minors. And, and every part of the university is invested in interdisciplinary learning, or at least I hope so. But, but when you do that, you lose the ability to master anything. Um, and not for the sake of the accomplishment, but for the sake of actually pursuing a passion and growing in it and challenging yourself in it. And, and I think that's true not only in, in the academic life, it's true in extracurriculars, it's true in professional employment and hobbies and relationships that, that more is better um, mm. to, to have more, to be more, to do more. I don't know that we've always done a great job of helping our students during their first year here to break out of the high school and grade school mindset that ultimately was necessary to get them right, here, whereby right. you, you're the president of all the clubs and right. you're the captain of all the teams and you're killing it in school. That's, that's an important testament to one's ability, but, but that's not a way to live a life. Mm. And, and so giving yourself permission to, to narrow your focus, I think is really important. Asking others who you trust to give you that permission mm. Um, when you can't give it yourself, and to allow things to have been meaningful at one time and to no longer be as meaningful mm. is really important. I think a lot of our a lot of our students and and a lot of my friends who've graduated from this place find themselves trapped in in the narrative of freshman year or second year post grad that that maybe isn't necessarily who they are right now. Mm. And that's fine. It's true in our life of faith, in our life of prayer, that some forms of prayer are more effective for us in one time than they are in another time, that some ways of being in relationship with another person are more meaningful at one time than another, right? You don't go on the same date as a high school sweetheart that you do as someone married for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you do. But, but I think <laughs> for, a lot for of old times sake. Yeah. Yeah. For nostalgia. <laughs> but, but the way you practice love looks different. Um, and, and that's true in our relationship with others and our relationship with God. And, and yet that's a difficult, that's a difficult parting for a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, because they know that at that time, what, what brought them joy really was joyful, yeah. um, to, allow yourself to see that joy as as momentary and full and something that as you remember it continues to make something in you that's that's a beautiful thing to continue to try to recreate that joy to to seek a sort of false consolation in that moment um, not only does that that preclude you from making decisions for things that are present to you but but it actually it actually sort of corrupts the joy that that was Hmm. true. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting to think about. You talked about the joy that you were finding in sort of hints of what Holy Cross would be the, the love that you found in serving in the residence halls of being at Notre Dame of encountering other Holy Cross priests on campus. Tell us a little bit about the spirituality of Holy Cross and why that ultimately 
fit so well with you and your life and and was attractive to you as a, this is a lifestyle I want to pursue as well. Sure. So we would say of ourselves in Holy Cross that wherever we go, we go as educators in the faith. Um, our community, the congregation of Holy Cross, is founded in a particular place at a particular time. So we're we're literally the association of Saint Croix, a neighborhood outside of Le Mans, France, and and I think that means something for us practically and spiritually that we that we establish ourselves in particular places with particular people that we go not only as servants but as neighbors to them. That's true of of our rectors who literally live in residence with their students. It's true of our professors who seek to understand where our students are coming from. And at our schools, oftentimes our professors are also living in residence. <laughs> true of our parishes where we, we seek to build up meaningful communities. Father Moreau, Blessed Basil Moreau, our, our founder, wanted to model our community on the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. He saw that model of the Holy Family as the the archetype for how any community of people are meant to love each other in in equal dignity and worth, but but in distinction and um, distinction of, of life and of purpose. That, that that kind of sharing actually allows people to realize a greater a greater fullness and um, and so we we are modeled on the Holy Family everywhere. We live and serve. We live in community. Um, it's actually in our constitutions that, that we're meant to live together in community. We're never independent contractors, or at least we're not supposed to be. <laughs> that, was, that was huge for, for my own desire to, to share a common life, to share a family life. And, and my hope to, to work with young people, to be a teacher in some capacity, that was something I think from high school onward I realized would be, would be really important to me. As a, as a preacher during Mass, as a, a pastoral counselor in confession and, and outside of the sacrament, um, and also potentially in the classroom at some point. Yeah. I think we, we hold to a trust in divine providence, which for me is, is something that is, is sort of a foil to my own, my own will and intellect mm. that I, I can look on my life and see that I have not always been a particularly trusting person when it comes to divine providence. And yet, as has been hopefully evidenced throughout this conversation, looking back, the hand of providence is guiding everything sure. in love, everything to, to fullness and joy. Um, and while we are founded in a particular place, and while Holy Cross takes its, its name from a neighborhood in France— we do have a, a profound trust in and hope in the cross of Christ. So our blessed founder gave us this this motto, this slogan, Ave Crux Spes Unica, Hail the Cross, our only hope. That for me is, is a profound foil to my own reliance on self, hmm. that that in moments of, of encounter with the cross in my own life and in the lives of family, friends, students, the truth of resurrection is, is beautiful and profound and, and crucially important. Resurrection that, that is connected to the, the reality of the cross suffered in, in physical and material ways, but also in emotional and spiritual ways. I think, I think for me, as a student, as as a young priest working with students, the idea that moments of failure, moments of pain, moments of loneliness and suffering 
can be transformative, the, that God leaves no stone unturned with our lives and, and takes everything we offer, both the, the good and the strange, and, <laughs> and makes it into something beautiful. Um, that's something that, that I believe in with all my heart and yet also wrestle to believe in, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, because, because it's such a, a deeply beautiful mystery yeah. um, and a mystery that, that I've seen play out in my own life and in the lives of people I love, but a mystery that is in the moment always, always difficult to embrace. Yeah, the Good Friday can be hard. How can it be good? But Right. But we know, right. we know that Easter's Easter Sunday is coming. I want to go back a little bit to you talked about that communal life and, and you know why you were drawn to religious life and the priesthood and and the way that you were going to be a spiritual father. You know, as it relates to the decision to be a priest, I think sometimes when young men are thinking about being a priest, they they have that sense of well, I I will have to give up being married and I will have to give up family life and. It's true to some extent in the in the vows that you take, but there's so many similarities between the life of what a priest does and the life of a husband, a father, a faithful disciple of Christ in, in any instance. So maybe tell us a little bit about the decision to pursue priesthood within Holy Cross and what some of the graces have been in your young life as a priest. Sure. Ever since I was a little kid, the the idea of being a preacher and being a confessor was intriguing to me. I had known some some really marvelous confessors. I'd also known a couple really terrible confessors. <laughs> um, and similarly with preaching, I'd known some beautiful, mesmerizing, compelling preachers, and some who just you know had other gifts. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was something that was always inspiring to me. Um, it's where I, you know, I've said that as a kid, I sort of like the job description of the priesthood, even if I wasn't sure about the lifestyle. In the Archdiocese of Denver, a lot of our diocesan priests live by themselves. It's mm. just part and parcel of, of being a big archdiocese, um, serving a lot of Catholics spread across a big state. And and that's a particular gift of, of the diocesan priestly vocation, and one that I Pretty early on, I could have told you that I didn't feel called to. Um, I don't know that as a little kid I could have said, like, I'm looking for the intimate accompaniment of family life, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I couldn't have said that in grade school. I think I would have just said, like, right. oh, well, who do they hang out with, right? right? Um, you know, what do they do? I, I didn't know much about the priestly fraternity of, of the diocese or of um, – and I certainly didn't know religious orders before high school. I think that – that desire to be a sacramental minister, seeing the possibility of being a sacramental minister, was attractive enough to keep the question live for me throughout my my growing up, middle school, high school, into college. And especially in college, I, I do think the the discernment of religious life and priesthood versus marriage and family life was was a real one. I had I had women in my life who I adored, who I continue to adore. They're some of my closest friends and and people who I think if I'm if I'm honest and and asked myself whether I'd thought about marriage, I would say there were there were probably a couple of them who I could have seen myself pursuing marriage with. Sure. Um, or or at least entering into that that intimacy of relationship. And and so in in some respects when I entered seminary 
that first year and then that novitiate year, I had to be real with myself about, okay, so what do these emotions mean, right? What, what are these friendships for me? And, and what will it be to, to continue to enjoy the beautiful intimacy of friendship um, while also seeking the intimacy of family life? Um, do I find that in Holy Cross? Do I find that in these, these brothers of mine in community? Because if I don't, right, if it's just a bunch of dudes hanging out and praying and having dinner, like, that's great, but that sounds like a frat. That doesn't mm-hmm. sound like a family. Sure. Um, and I did come to find that. I, didn't, I don't know that I found it immediately because I don't know that I was looking for it or knew that I had to look for it. Um, but in coming to find it, I came to realize that that intimacy, that love, that support, and the opportunities to share those things with others that I knew and loved in my own family were things that I could share in my Holy Cross family. And that those, that those women in my life who I had loved, I continued to love. Um, at this point, I think I've either married or baptized their kids with, with a number of them. And, sure. and that's been an incredible privilege of being their friend who's also a priest. Right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's 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 neat to see those things come full circle. And yes, there is a a giving up and a sacrifice, but in 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 another way, there's a transformation of those relationships into something new. Talk about maybe some of the surprises that have uh, have appeared along the way, either on the way towards vows and ordination, or since then. Anything that's been surprising to you in a good way? You, you talked about the hand of the of divine providence. I think I've been surprised by my capacity to keep going Hmm. on a given day when it comes to pastoral ministry. I, I suppose I would have always hoped that to be the case that I would, that I would want to give of myself that the, the sort of icons of priestly ministry that I had, that I had studied and, and, considered and hoped to emulate when I was a grade school kid and a high schooler and a, and a college student. I think I sort of hoped that would be true, but but I didn't really know what it would look like. You know, would I find myself overwhelmed? Would I find myself exhausted? Would I find myself, you know, challenged in my own faith? And and I think there have been moments of all of those things. I think that's true of, of being a human being and being a disciple, but but to find such such joy and fullness in incredibly full days and incredibly beautiful and sometimes heavy moments of accompaniment um i i go to bed very tired most nights but i go to bed most nights really grateful for having been able to be a priest today and and that's not because every day is sunshine and rainbows. Um, <laughs> when you work with when you work with undergraduate students, there's there's an incredible amount to love, but but there are mistakes made that are really painful for them um, to navigate, and and moments of growing up that are that are real. And and I just continue to be surprised by how by how full and life giving those those relationships of accompaniment, those moments of encounter, have been for me. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I hoped that would be true, but in finding it to be true a hundredfold, it's, it's really surprising. Yeah. And there's a sense of, you don't really know until you're in it, 
what you have the capacity for, and 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 maybe you haven't been called to it in in a younger stage of your life, but once you're there, it's like wow, I'm I'm <laughs> there's no there's hardly any room left for selfishness here. I'm really really emptying myself, which can be a beautiful thing. Right, right. I'd sort of heard that from from my own parents and and cousins who had kids, and then um, you know from my own brother and some of my friends that 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 paradox of 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 loving self-gift and utter canonic exhaustion um, <laughs> is real, right? That you want to love your children more and more and more and be present to them and give to them and walk with them, even as you have no energy and no patience and no time. That that, that seeming paradox of love is one that, that I've also found in myself. Well, that's great. I'm curious, if you could go back to in time at some moment, uh, to give yourself some advice, some words of encouragement, some consolation, when when would that be, and what do you think you would say to yourself? Hmm. I think I would tell myself earlier on in senior year that it's okay just to try it with respect to seminary. Sure. I think I spent a lot of senior year really vexed by <laughs> by the reality of needing to give seminary a shot and yet the fear of of wondering whether it was okay whether whether I could do it whether people would you know hate me for it or <laughs> or think differently of me or, or anything I think I think I needed to just give myself that permission earlier uh, or hear permission being given right I think any number of people had already given me that right. permission you know try it see if it works. You're not going to disappoint any of your friends. You're not going to disappoint your family. And you're certainly not going to disappoint Holy Cross if you try it and find that it's not right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because so much of my life up to that point had been finishing what I'd started, quote unquote. The the idea of entering seminary was for a while the idea of being ordained a priest. Mm -hmm. And and I needed some help to separate that out, to, to give myself permission to, to kind of give God a year and to give Holy Cross a year. Um, and at the end of that year, then I needed to give Holy Cross another year. Mm. And at the end of that year, it was sort of like, all right, well, I think this is good. <laughs> <laughs> now we're good. Well, and sometimes, you know, it's it's that big discernment question that can hang very heavily in our lives. Do I, do I pursue marriage? Do I become a priest in a religious life or not? What career path do I take? But I think what's ironic is that sometimes we we spend so much time building up to that moment of taking the vows or going through the sacrament, whatever it is, but then the next day there's a realization that there's more discernment to be had, Mm -hmm. even after you're married or after you're a priest, that there's more discernment through, through the rest of the Christian life. So maybe tell us a little bit, now that you're past those, some of those major milestones of final <laughs> vows and priesthood, what does discernment look like for you now? Yeah, I think it's a great question, because I think, too, you come to find in those major moments of decision that the decision is often easier than you think because you've sort of been living into the decision anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the morning of my first vows profession at at the novitiate a couple of my classmates were they were up really early and they were getting cleaned up and they were in their their habits like hours before (laughs) the profession mass and I walked upstairs in shorts and a t-shirt and got some breakfast and was reading the paper and walking around outside and and one of my classmates was like 
what are you doing? <laughs> and and I kind of flipped it on him a little bit, but but I realized I was so at peace because as I told him, like, we've been doing this the whole year. Right. We're saying publicly something that we've been living the whole year. And and in that respect, the the moment of decision, yes, it's public um, and and solemn, but but it's also it's also a, a natural next step of of what you've already been doing. And I think in in my own experience of discernment as a, a priest and religious of Holy Cross, and my own walking with students and and family and friends in their discernment, that's that's I think the biggest thing that I've that I've learned and and something that I encourage others in is is to to recognize yourself or to to invite others to help you to see that that major moments of decision when when made well are actually just natural next steps to who you already are to what you've already been doing um there are few good engagements in the history of marriage that are completely out of left field, right? Right. It's more often than not the case that there have been conversations about marriage for a while, and the question of, of a proposal is more a when than an if, right? The same is true in religious life. The same is true in, in living out our professional and personal vocations, that, that what we're doing more often than not is, is natural to who we are, and that moment of decision is simply the public affirmation of that rather than a, a complete shift in life course. Sure, sure. At least that's the hope. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you talked about encouraging others, and I think that's really important as we're all living the different vocations of encouraging each other towards holiness. We talk a lot about this universal call to holiness and part of the purpose of this podcast is to explore holiness in different ways. So. I'd like to hear from you maybe as a last question of how do you pursue holiness in your life now and how do you encourage others to do so? Sure. I think I think holiness is something that we can overthink. We talked about this on the front end of this conversation <laughs> that that we can imagine these heroic acts of virtue, which is true of, of the lives of our canonized saints in mm-hmm. the church. But But I think if you learn anything in studying the lives of the saints and celebrating their lives, it's that they were ordinary men and women who allowed the extraordinary love of God through their gifts and talents to change the world. That's That's been true of our life of faith since the time of Jesus, that, that ordinary men and women impact others in extraordinary ways because they allow God in. They allow God to be a part of their life and to to impact their life, to touch their heart. And and I think that's that's something for me that continues to be tremendously important in my own life of, of discipleship, but also in encouraging others and, and hopefully leading others as a priest to to remind folks that that the world isn't looking for another Augustine or another Mary, or another Patrick, or another Francis, another Ignatius, another Andre, or Basil, the world's looking for them. The world's looking for them to share those gifts and talents that God has given them, to find joy in them, and to to share 
that joy with others in glorifying God with their lives. Yeah. Well, I think knowing you and knowing people who know you well, joy is definitive of, of who you are as a priest and as a Holy Cross. So, Father Pat, I just want to thank you for your time to be with our audience and to share a lot of your story and prayers to you and wish you well and all that you do in your future discernment. Thanks so much, Dan. Grateful to be with you. God bless everybody. That concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you do not already subscribe to our daily gospel reflection, we invite you to sign up at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. There, in addition to receiving our daily reflections, you will also receive notification of new episodes of this podcast. We thank you for listening, and we hope to have you with us next time. Mm-hmm.